past few weeks, Pastor Ian has been blessing us, moving us along the diagram that he's, you've been working on on the whiteboard. And, you know, hi, pastors. We love you, by the way. We're looking forward to seeing you on Sunday. And also everyone on the internet, we love you. We, we truly, truly love you. And we just welcome you into this house. We look forward to seeing you in person someday. You are very special to us. So he's been blessing us with his whiteboard diagram, the um, confession curve, right? Where he's been teaching us how to make that journey. I'm just going to point down here as if you're imagining from misery up unto what? Blessing, right? From the kingdom of man to the kingdom of God. We want to make that traverse, right? Over into the kingdom of God. From deception to truth, right? From the motives of fear, dread, and selfishness to which motives? Faith, hope, and love, right? So he's been, you know, painstakingly explaining that and really putting himself out there because it's going to require something of us, right? He actually said, quote, we have a personal responsibility of disciplining our soul to do what it's supposed to do, period, right? We have the Holy Spirit. He's with us, but we have a personal responsibility. We have something to do in this transformation process. And we're going to continue along this theme of transformation. And in case you don't know, um, you know, you are all in the process of being transformed. Is there anyone that doesn't realize that? When you gave your life to the Lord, he committed himself to you. He committed to get you somewhere. And you're going to like where it is. It's called your destiny. And it's also called the best version of you. God has committed himself to get you to your true self. Pastor Ian talked about last, just on Sunday, right? Not the creature, right? Self that wears the mask and creates an image in front of everyone. But our true selves, who God created us to be. That's a journey, to find him or her again. That's a process of transformation, and it's worth doing because what's at the end of the rainbow? Blessings, right? What else? Truth. The kingdom of God, right? Being motivated out of faith, hope, and love. No more selfishness, fear, or dread, right? So this process of transformation is a process. And praise God, you're not here by accident. If I could just put my arms all around you and give you just one big giant hug, right? You're here because God has called you to this family, to this house. And if this is the first time you're hearing it, this is a healing house. That is the mandate on the house. This is a house of transformation. So really, what do you need to do to experience that blessing that's on this house? One thing, and that is to show up, and maybe two things actually, show up and not quit. Show up and don't quit. Show up, you're here tonight, check, okay? Number two, do not quit. You're going to hear some things tonight that you've already heard. And you might be tempted to say, mm, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And check yourself out, okay? That's a form of quitting. So if you need to do something prophetic, then maybe that means not pathetic, prophetic. If you need to do something prophetic, and maybe that's simply just you're going to move seats, you're going to move up closer, you're going to sit on the edge of your seat, you're going to do something because 
you probably heard maybe a theme in some of the songs of worship, and I'm thinking, God, you are so good. You're so good. It's the same Holy Spirit that's picking the music and picking the message and has released an anointing on us to get this healing, to get a level of revelation tonight. That's what God's going to do tonight. He's releasing another level of revelation, and he's releasing the grace with it to do it because we're in partnership with him, right? He loves to reveal himself. He loves to reveal the key, the way out, the open door. But in the end, it's he who gives us the kick to get through the door? No, we choose to walk through the door, correct? So whatever you need to do to just say, I am in, all in, Jesus, the lover of my soul, I'm in to hear from you tonight and let you do the work that you want to do in my life. Yay, God. Hallelujah. So I just wanted to share a few things that he's, um, Pastor Ian has said because they um, are so pertinent and they pertain to the work of transformation so well and also so that you know it's your beloved pastor who has initiated this and not me so you could feel confident in what I'm going to speak to you about tonight. Uh, he said this really beautifully, you can believe whatever you want, but don't think believing the wrong thing will get you what you want. You can believe whatever you want. We have a choice, right? You're here, so obviously you want to believe truth versus deception, right? But the trick is, he also said this, we don't see the situation as it really is, we see it as we are. We see it as we are. So there is truth, and then there's this thing called our filter. We take information in, it comes in our ears and in our eyes, right? And then we have this wonderful thing that we give to the world. It's called our unique interpretation of the world. We have our unique interpretation of the world. That is actually a gift. No one sees the world like you do. Nobody does. And that actually is a beautiful thing. So you can get two artists who are painting the same bowl of fruit and you get two completely different pictures. Why is that? They're looking at the same thing, but they're taking it in and producing something that looks different because they've taken the information into their eye gates and internalized that and processed their own perspective on the situation. So this is a wonderful thing, but also has a little problem attached to it. And that is, if you are not taking in truth, when you work it in your own internal oven, you're going to produce something that looks slightly distorted from the truth, right? Which is what he's saying. We don't see the situation as it really is. We see it as we are. We see it as we interpret. This is not new to you. You've heard this. A red flag tonight, though, in that we're going to do something about this, okay? We need to do something about the way we're interpreting the world that we live in. There's no condemnation. God loves us exactly as we are. You are picture perfect to the Lord. You are welcomed into heaven. There's a place for you. He adores you. He loves the way you smell. He loves the, everything about you. God just loves you. But he definitely, as we said earlier, is committed to you becoming the, ve- the best version of you that you can be. 
we understand that with our cell phones, right, we're always looking for the updates, the newest version. We get it, right? There's a better version. Why would we sit on our behind and accept ourselves as we are right now? This is not the final story. We don't get worse with age. We get better with age. We don't reach a certain age and then it's downhill from there. You know, so if you're young and you're on the glory train of ascending up into your years, you're just thinking, wow, this is so good. I'm getting better and better. And then what happens? We magically hit some plateau and it's downhill from there. No, God has a glorious destiny, Psalm 73, for every single one of us. You're not going to get that with this old pattern of thinking. As much as God loves you, you will not get there with your old pattern of thinking. You must decide that you are going to do something about the way you're thinking. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. So uh, Pastor Ian always also said, quote, I need to make sure that my perspective on the situation is the same as God's perspective. Why is that? Because God's right, right? God's true. God is true. And everything he does is true. So as best as we can, we want to align ourselves to truth, right? Because we want to release out of us truth, right? In whatever we do, we want to release that out. And truth has so many lovely forms. If you've been working on the roof, you want truth, right? You want that roof to fit and to work and to last, and you want you know all the little pieces to come together, right? So we, we obviously, when we align ourselves to God, what we produce out of that alignment is good and reflects him. Yay, God. So this is not something that we're making up here at Victory because we just love transformation. You know, we, we're all about it here. You know, we're really into it. You know, it's, it's, not, you know, it's not just us. God said in Ephesians 4, Throw off your old sinful nature, okay? Throw off, get rid of it. You know, you must do this, he's saying. I'm not going to do it for you, right? You must do this. You must throw off your old sinful nature, which, yes, is born again when we accept Christ, right? But we still have that old consciousness, right? We have that old mindset, that needs to be renewed. And the younger you are, the younger your mindset. The older you are, the older your mindset, right? The more evidence you've been accumulating that you are in fact right, when possibly nothing could be further from the truth, right? Or as Pastor Ian taught on Sunday, the creature, you know, which is basically self, becomes very good, very, very good at protecting and ensuring that what you believe about yourself is never known to another person. So if you have deception in your heart that says, I'm weak or I'm small or I'm insignificant, I'm not worthy, the creature does everything he or she can, right, to prove to the world, but ultimately to yourself that you are not in fact those things. And the longer you entertain deception or live in misery at the bottom of that confession curve, right? The longer you do, the um, uh, how do I say this and still be positive? (laughs) Hmm. Well, the longer you do that, the more 
entrenched you are in that way of thinking, okay? That doesn't mean that you cannot make a shift, and we believe in miracles, right, where the Holy Spirit literally does a lobotomy if necessary, right, to get us out of our old self, right, and into our true self, our true self. We're not talking about anything that's, um, you know, strange or out there. We're talking about being the best version we can be of ourselves, which is our true, truest self, who we are unhindered by fear, dread, and selfishness, and who we are operating out of faith, hope, and love. Wow, we've all had those moments, right, where we've done something good for someone, and we just feel like, wow, I got to use my gifts, and I feel like I'm flying high as a kite. This was awesome. I want to do that again. That was a glimpse of the true you. Glory to God. All right, so what qualifies me to do this? Well, you know, I've got some personal experience because I'm on that curve too, okay? I'm there too. I got, you know, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, still wearing it, okay? Still in the process of trying to root out deception from my life, you know, trying to stand in authority when I do feel like I've slipped into deception or, and the, mo the emotions that go with it, right? you know, ruling and reigning over those. Because Pastor Tina, one thing that she said is faith demands that we refuse to live by emotions unless they line up with the word of God. And what do we remember from Daughters of Destiny? I know I'm going really fast. So if you don't, if, if I'm missing something, just say, hey, Jenny, what was that? So from Daughters of Destiny, remember we, and, and we've heard this so many times, it's not just from there, but what you believe affects what? Your thoughts right? Your thoughts determine your emotions. Your emotions determine, sadly enough, your decisions, right? Most people make decisions out of their emotions, not out of what is necessarily true, okay? Your decisions affect your actions, repeated over time become habits, which ultimately affects your character, right? Which determines your destiny, okay? So there is a cause and effect. If you're not living in your destiny in every area of your life, then we want to trace it back to what you believe. What are you allowing to take up space in your mind? Thoughts are taken up, if you want to think about it as real estate, because thoughts actually can be seen under a microscope. So they legitimately take up space in your mind. And if you're trying to produce the victorious life, then we want to make sure we're not yielding any of that space over onto things that are going to bring death and not life, obviously, right? God said, choose life. Hallelujah. The other thing I think, um, you know, under what qualifies me, I don't know, maybe you won't, but I, I just, I thought, okay, how can I, how can I demonstrate that I know something about what we're going to talk about tonight, right? So, um, I, I, did, I did some math, and I, I figured that I've been doing Rhema. Rhema is a, a beautiful prayer-directed process to root out deception and replace it with truth, right? And it was developed by Pastor Ian, and there's many people in the world who are doing similar kinds of things, but it is truly beautifully, um, beautifully provided and done here at Victory for Free. It's, a, it's amazing. So... Um, so I've been doing that, I, th I think, like almost 10 years, and I counted my rhemas, and I, I think I've done something like 1,140 or something like that, okay? So I know, you can clap, because I was, I was like, oh, God, you're so good. 
You're so good. I honestly, I am like, Jesus, you're just the best, Lord. Anyways, that's another story. So, okay, so I'm not an expert on your situation, okay? I don't know what you are each individually going through, okay? And I, I want to just respect that and honor that. You know, um, I am not an expert on your individual situation. You are, and God is, definitely. And the two of you guys are in partnership together to get the job done. So I just want to contribute to the work that the Holy Spirit's already doing through just sharing some of the things that I've noticed. So we're going to poke at one thing in particular tonight. This will not be our last kick at the can, okay? It's not the first time that you've heard about this, but we're believing God that we are going from glory to glory, right? So we're getting revelation as we, as we go. And that revelation always comes with results, right? God's not about accumulating information, right? He's about actually changing us, changing us. And that scripture actually goes on from glory to glory into his likeness and image. So that's good, right? Because we're conforming to the truth as we're allowing God to keep working, as we're showing up and not quitting, we're being transformed. It's as simple as that. Yay, God, you'll never find a better deal anywhere. Yay, God. Okay, so what I want to share with you pertains to the love wound. Smiling at Jamie because she, <laughs> she has encouraged me in this area. So um, it pertains to the love wound, and it's something about being loved the most, okay? This need to be the most, all right? So as I said, you just judge yourself as, as I share this information, and you determine yourself kind of where you are with this. Just be open to whatever the Holy Spirit's got going on. So, so love is quintessential. I'm not going to say too much about it, but except to say that love is paramount. It's absolutely essential. We cannot live without love, okay? We cannot manifest anything without love. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if I have all faith, A-L-L, all faith, faith for everything, faith to, it says here, remove mountains, okay? If I have all faith, but if I don't have love, I am nothing, okay? I am nothing. That is an identity statement, okay? I am nothing. In Rhema, if you have a negative emotion or a thought that you're presenting, we will ask you to fill in the blank. What does that say about you? I am blank. And people will speak to their identity in a phrase. I am unworthy. I am not good. I am a failure. You know, and on and on and on it goes. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'm blah, 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 blah. Okay? These are all deceptions, of course, because that's not how God sees us. That's not who we are. But these are identity statements nonetheless. And God says, if you don't have love, if you don't have love, you are nothing. Wow. Wow. Well, God is love, right? So that really speaks to his identity, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Right? He is, in a nutshell, everything. God is love. Yay, God. So when there's an absence of love in our life, when we experience an absence of love, it is going to have a detrimental effect on us. Okay? Okay, so I'm just going to slow down, just get into this little bit here. So everybody ready? Roll up your sleeves and we'll just kind of <laughs> receive. Thank you, Father. I'm just going to pray for one second. Just thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Lord, that your love covers us right now, Lord, and the precious blood of Jesus covers us. And we just declare this is a safe place, Lord God. It's a safe place, Lord. We can just let the walls down, the barriers down, Lord God. In your presence, Lord God, is fullness of joy, and we're safe here, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord God. All right, so what does this belief sound like or look like, okay? And I'm actually going to also refer to this negative belief as a wound. Most of you have heard that before, that you have a wound in your heart. Have you all heard that pretty much, right? Okay, so what it, why do we use that word wound when we're talking about a faulty belief? Because we're talking about a faulty belief. Something that you believe that is not correct, it's taken up space in your brain, and it's producing death for you. It's keeping you down at the bottom of the confession line in misery, okay? It's a faulty belief, and that continuum from belief to destiny, all right? You believe something about yourself that is not true. It's a wound, a wound, because it is still open and operating in your life, even if you came into agreement with that wound when you were a small child. You may have been a little you know, five-year-old, six-year-old person that came into agreement with the kingdom of darkness around you being whatever, stupid, a failure, not good, not good enough, okay? And that belief, which is a faulty negative belief, is still operating in your life. It is an open wound. It's a belief system that even though the Lord wants to heal it, he requires our permission to do it because it has become part of our identity, okay? It's become part of our identity. Now, you may say, who would ever come into, uh, into agreement or who would ever welcome a negative thing into their identity? Who would do that? Well, guess what? Every single one of us, right? Because it's all we know, right? Right? It, it seems to make sense. It seems to kind of describe the world that we live in, right? When we came into agreement with that idea, it makes a lot of sense. And so we, we've taken it on. And at first, it's, remember what Pastor Ian said? A little seed, right? At first, it's a little seed, and it grows into a tree, and it takes on strength the more we believe it. And as it takes on strength in our life, it actually becomes really comfortable because that's what we know, right? That's all we know. That's what we know. That's who we are. It's a great risk to let it go and to actually dare to believe what God says about us. If that has not been your experience, when God says you're an overcomer, and you've had lots of evidence of not overcoming, to actually believe that requires you laying it down and hoping again, hoping one more time that this time you'll overcome. And, and the problem is it sounds easy, but disappointment hurts, right? Disappointment can kind of feel like someone's putting a knife in that wound 
and kind of turning it around a bit. And, and to avoid pain at all costs, it's easier, safer, more comfortable not to go for the things that God says about us, but to just live our comfortable existence, which may not be so hot, but at least we're managing, right? At least we're coping. Do you understand? Does that make sense? Yes? Hallelujah. Okay. Ha. Ah, okay. So this wound is, I need to be loved the most in order to know that I'm okay. I need to know that I'm the most in order to know that I'm okay. I want to be, or I need to be the most popular. I want to be the smartest. I need to have the most successful business, the biggest bank account, the nicest car, the best clothes, the prettiest girl, okay? I need to know that pastors prefer me over others, that they prefer the way I pray over others. I need to know that I'm up there to know that I'm okay. There's a problem with being the most because what does that assume? Everyone else is not the most, right? They're less than you. So this is something that if I said sibling rivalry, would you understand what I'm talking about, right? What is sibling rivalry, root, rivalry rooted in, right? You are my competition. Your brothers and sisters are your competition. When there's jealousy amongst sisters and brothers, it's about this belief that you are my competition for mom and dad's love and acceptance and approval. And so I must make sure that I'm the most over you in order to know that I'm okay. Why does this work? Like, what's the power in this? You know, it's great when we have parents that are always on, okay? Or coaches or teachers that are always on. Is that the reality, though? No, the reality is that most people are imperfect and their ability to give love and express love is not perfect. So when you're trying to get love from an imperfect person, what's going to happen? Occasionally, you're going to fall up short and you're left with this question, am I okay? But when you want to be the most at something, you have evidence to prove you're the most, even if they're not always having a great day. Because the most means that you get the biggest cookie, right? Your sisters get the smaller cookie. They get the leftovers. You get the brand new clothes. You can conclude wrongly that your parents prefer this, but you're a kid, so what do you know? You're just measuring by what the most looks like. I have the most. I've got the nicest house, the biggest house, right? What does that say about me? I must be doing something right which is basically trying to massage this deception in your heart, I'm not okay. And the way that we deal with that is by being or believing we're the most. I'll just let that sink in for a second. On Sunday, Pastor Ian shared how we, are, we have this profound experience of coming from God. We, when we're conceived, we, we come from God. He originated us, right? And then we have this profound separation that happens where we know that we're not connected to him in the same way we used to be. Through that, you know, that act of committing that first sin where we experience that separation from God and have a profound sense of vulnerability and insecurity because 
At one time, you were one with God, right? And then you experienced the separation, and we thank God for, um, for coming back into union, full union with him. But in that period of vulnerability, Pastor described how it creates this, um, you know, this insecurity that needs to be addressed. We need to settle this issue and address this issue, which actually is a wonderful thing that God wired us to have this survival instinct, right? We have this ability to find a way to cope with our circumstances, no matter how difficult they are, to find a way to come out on top. God has wired us for success. So even if there's a kink in the wire, you know, even if there's a kink in the hose, you know, when it's just not operating to its full power, at least we're moving forward with life generally. At least we're moving forward. So we, we, we thank God that um, he's so brilliant and he found a way to keep us moving forward. But God wants more than just moving forward at a snail's pace, okay? He definitely wants more than getting bogged down and stuck. He wants us to live in the fullness of what he's provided for us. That means the kink has to be undone. Right? The deception that's causing that obstruction, that block, God wants to remove that. He doesn't want us to be massaging the wound, I'm not okay, I'm not loved, I'm unlovable, I'm insecure, I'm vulnerable. He doesn't want us to massage that wound with more deception called a mask. He doesn't want us to create a, a self that protects ourselves and keeps us moving forward but not operating in the fullness of who we are. He just, he will not stand for that. And you wouldn't either, would you? If you're a parent, would, would you stand for that in your child? No, you are going to move heaven, right? You're gonna move heaven and earth to get your kid to where you think they're supposed to be. It's an internal thing that comes from God because we don't create anything unique on ourselves. We're just emulating the way God is. God is like that. He wants us there more than you do. More than you do. Because quite frankly, some of us have given up. Some of us have just come to the place where we feel like it's too hard. We, we've, we're discouraged, right? We, we thought that we did everything we were supposed to do and we don't seem to be manifesting. And so there's the temptation to leave the church try another church, right? Like try a new diet plan. If that one didn't work, try another one, right? There's a temptation to get offended, right? So that you can blame, blame the pastors, blame the leaders, blame the person sitting next to you, right? It's easier to do that. As he, remember, pastor shared those Ds. The first one I think was um, deflect. Can't remember the order. Deny, right? Deflect which is to blame other people. That, that's easier to do 
than to come to grips with the fact that I may need to do something different. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that. This whole idea of being loved the most, I just want to give a couple of examples to kind of show you how it works beautifully, okay? You know when you first dated your, your spouse or maybe you're dating somebody right now and you remember, remember that kind of infatuation that you have with that person, right? Do you, do you remember that? Most of you just shake your head and just nod, yeah, no? <laughs> well, you will someday. God willing, hallelujah. All right, well, you, you know what it's like. It's like you are the center of that person's world, right? And why do we just love that so much? It's because we're, we're actually getting this answered. We're accumulating evidence. I am loved the most. This person's giving me all their time. They're giving me their attention. They're buying mean things. They're saying nice things to me. That's a really awesome example of, of getting that need satisfied in me. I am loved. This person here, this external source, is confirming that I'm loved. So no matter what I think about myself, I can't be that bad. I'm okay. Another really great example is if you are a mom in the room, then you know what it's like to have that new baby who only wants to go to you. Or maybe you're the grandma who the baby only wants to go, or maybe to dads and granddads, but I, I'm a mom, so I know what that's like. But I remember that feeling of the girls thrilled to see me when I walked in the room, right? And not so thrilled when someone else walked in the room. And what was that doing for me? It was satisfying that need to know that I am loved and I'm loved the most. It was making it very clear to me. I never had to deal with my wound because it was dealt for me by this external source. Now, you can see there's a problem with that, right? Okay? Because what happens to children? They grow up, right? What happens to all relationships? They move out of that infatuation dating stage, and it becomes pretty plain Jane for a while, right? Until you learn how to communicate and work some things out, right? But you, you, you stop receiving that constant stimulation from them that you're so great, and God would have it that way because, of course, he is a jealous God, right? He's a jealous God, and he will not stand for someone else filling his place. As, as Tim's saying, he is the lover of our soul, right? Get comfortable with that. He is the lover of my soul. He is the lover of my soul. He loves me in a way that is so totally complete it leaves nothing lacking in me, absolutely nothing lacking in me. And in it is the power to excel and move forward in the things that God has called me to do. But I must do it his way. I am wired for love, as Dr. Caroline Leaf says so beautifully. We are wired for love. It is the gasoline that we run on. If we substitute love for fear or a counterfeit love, fear is a good motivator. Remember, fear, dread, and selfishness. Very good motivators, but they will only get you so far, and they will cause your circuits to go haywire. You'll feel stressed, burnt out, 
confused, disillusioned, disillusioned, disappointed, wanting to quit and pull out of the relationship. Because there's no longevity when fear, dread, and selfishness and not love are your motivators. Yay, God. Okay, so. Thank you, Lord. So we have a couple problems when we're looking to get love from outside sources. One we already talked about is imperfect people, right? Even the, even the most, honestly, in Rhema, lots of times, it is because we misperceived what was happening. Sometimes it was because, you know, the person was, you know, wounded themselves, hurting people hurt people. But lots of times it was our misperception. And so we're trying to get love from imperfect people. That is just never going to work, right? The second thing is, no matter how much love you get from other people, you always are left with yourself and the fact that you, on a daily basis, mess up, unless you're not like me. Right? On a daily basis, I contend with this. You know, Father, forgive me. I totally did not trust you in that situation. Right. Or I just let my tongue go, my mouth go on something. <sighs> Have mercy, God. Have mercy, God. Okay, have mercy. Have mercy, Jenny. Yes, I have mercy, Jenny. <laughs> and then we are faced with Pastor Ian's very sobering messages to us. And I feel like the clock has run out for him. And I'm not speaking for Pastor Ian because, you know, maybe he doesn't feel like that. But I feel like he... I'm sensing, right, like, or maybe it's just to me. It's time. It's time. It's time because the antidote, I'm going to give you the antidote, and then I'm also going to give you a little bit of an action plan, okay, is based on the fact that it's time, that this is the season that is the open door, this year of mercy, you know, that has been given in this year of faith, this great year of faith for us to get it. And just a little side note, don't try and get it because you thought your way through this. If this message is going right over your head tonight, you can still get it through faith. Amen. All right? In fact, I would advise you, don't even try to understand what I'm talking about because I know some of the things I said were like a rabbit trail that went around, oh well. Try and, don't try, just get it through faith. Lord, I receive a revelation and impartation of what you're doing tonight. I just believe that I do, God. I do. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. I, I need to say another important thing, okay, before I talk about the antidote. You can just indulge me for a minute. There are some serious consequences to continuing to believe deception about yourself. There's some very, very serious consequences. 
and I want to just smile and have fun up here right now and just, okay, but I'm just going to take a second to say there are some really serious consequences. We already talked about whether you reach your destiny or not or the fullness of the destiny that God has for you. And I'm not trying to scare you into this, okay? So remember what Pastor Ian said, you can believe whatever you want, okay? Believe whatever you want. But, you know, one of the consequences is that you don't fulfill the plan that God has for your life, right? Another serious consequence is that you live with condemnation. I don't know about you, but I am so done with that, okay? where you're constantly beating yourself up for the same thing. There really is only a handful of things that you believe about yourself that are not true. There's not that many. And they really don't have any power. It's just that you keep feeding it. Right? You feed it. Every time you think it, you feed it. You are feeding the monster. Okay? Every time you think it, you are entrenching it as part of your identity. There's no such thing as a benign negative thought. Every negative thought is cancerous to you. It's toxic. There's no such, oh, well, whatever, just gonna say how I feel. Every single one. Just a a natural example to that is I've just finished doing this food thing for 30 days, okay? And I can eat all the meat I want, all the vegetables I want, all the fruit I want. I just can't eat sugar, and I can't eat uh, wheat and dairy. And so, guess what? I'm eating a lot more than I was eating before, and guess what? I lost weight. How is that possible? Because you know what? It's just one cookie, right? It's just one cookie. It's just one donut. It's just a half a piece of brownie, right? It's just one piece of toast, right? And lo and behold, over 30 days, I have weight gain, and I ate more in 30 days. I mean, I have weight loss, weight loss, and I ate more. I just didn't have the just one cookie going through the drive-thru. And the Lord says, well, that's how it works with your thoughts. It's literally just one thought, one cancerous thought that you take. You choose it. Sometimes the enemy's in your ear, you know, yelling at you, take the thought, take the thought, take the thought, the pressure's on. Literally, you feel pressure on. You feel it. You feel it. You feel it. It's real, right? You can feel it, and you know sometimes it's the enemy or other people's junk, right? They're going through bad stuff, and then you think it's responsible, so you believe a lie that says you've got to carry people's weight. So you try and carry their stuff, and down you go, right? But it's one thought at a time. So you have a destiny issue, you have a condemnation issue, and then let me tell you this other one that's really lousy, okay? This is so lousy, so, so lousy. Okay, so what happens is I need you to tell me that I'm loved the most by you. I need, I need that to happen, right? And if you don't do that for me, what ends up happening? Right? You, you feel hurt. And a stronger word for that is betrayed. 
you feel betrayed by that person. This is what happens in childhood, right? At one, we were one, mom. Remember, we were one, came out of the womb, united. We literally were one, you know, umbilical cord, the whole deal. We were one, right? And all of a sudden, we're not one anymore. And mom, you used to love me like crazy, and now you're kind of busy, right? And what happens? You feel betrayed by that person. You feel betrayed because they didn't come through for you. So what happens when we feel betrayed? Normally what happens is we, do we turn the other cheek? Act like Jesus? What do we do? Yeah, we turn the other cheek and it's heading out the door and we're goodbye, right? We're done with the relationship, right? We're mad at pastors. We're leaving this church. We're moving to another town. We're going as far as we can right, where marriages, you know, relationships, breaking up everywhere, within families, siblings, parents, and their kids, just all over the place, right, over this sense of betrayal. I loved you, and you didn't love me. You hurt me, and so I'm going to do, I'm going to reject your love, which is crazy, because really what we want is to be loved, yeah. right, and to know that we're lovable, and yet we, we do this thing where we walk away. Now, that would be bad enough, except it doesn't end there, okay? Because the way you treat each other is the way you treat God. We treat God the exact same way. It's like, hey, God, like... Didn't you see me in worship? I was pouring my heart out to you. I said, I love you like crazy. I love you, God. And I went through the drive-through, and I got a flat tire on somebody's, okay, God, what's that all about? So, you know, it's funny, but it is so real, right? I've been trying, God, for 20 years, and nothing's happened. I'm still believing for this person's salvation, and they're not even interested, and what starts to happen is we're like, God, I loved you, but you're not loving me. I'm disappointed, right? And, and we start accumulating evidence against God. And because we don't feel like he loves us the most, we're looking at our siblings, right, who we can't rejoice about their blessing because God clearly loves them more than me because they got a brand new car and I'm a nicer person than they are, <laughs> right? How can I be happy for you when you are my competition? Right. I still believe this lie that says God has to love me the most. Mm-hmm. Or I don't, I don't understand, God. Okay, I know your word says in John that you sent your son because you love the world. And all of a sudden, that no lo- that's no longer good enough anymore. It's like, I don't care, God, that you love the world. I need to know that you love me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you love me, God. Like, do I matter to you, God? Can't you see me over here? I feel like a little pea at the bottom of a coliseum of peas. Right? And it's funny, but it's so detrimental, right, to think that way. But we take it as one little benign thought that we start accumulating, and that thing becomes deeper and more and more and more entrenched in our consciousness, right? God let me down. God let me down.
God let me down. In case you have a problem with that, oh, maybe I won't go there because that'll be okay. Watching the time, Jenny. Okay. All right. So, of course, God could never let anybody down, right? So, if we have that happen, and everybody does, okay? Everybody does, including the best leader in the world, has to deal with this thing about feeling like God possibly, maybe, sort of, could have maybe let you down. Okay, God forbid that we even say that out loud, okay? But we have to address it because it's R-E-A-L. It's real. It's real. So what is the antidote? Now this is the part that you've heard before, okay? You've already heard this, but now tonight you're hearing it in a new way. We must know that we are loved by God. Amen. We must know, N-K-N-O-W, we must know that we are loved by God. We must know that. It says in Romans, the truth you know will set you free. Right? But that word know is the exact same word that was used referring to Mary when it said she conceived but she did not know man. Okay, so it refers to intimacy, right? It's the same word. It's the truth you know intimately that will set you free. It's not a passing thought that comes to your mind occasionally, okay? It's something that you've actually worked into your system. It's not like putting lotion on your hand and expecting it to absorb itself into your hand and deal with the dryness. No, you have to, you have to work that lotion. It's the same thing with the, with the Word of God, whether it's through your, your time with Him in prayer or reading the Word or in Rhema, listening to anointed teaching. You have to take that Word and meditate on that Word. You have to think about that Word. You have to imagine that Word, right? It's the truth that you know. Now, how do I know? Because some of you might be sitting there thinking, I know God loves me. This is so, last year's message. I'm so over this. God loves me. I don't, you know, here's how I know if you really truly know. It says in 1 John 4, what? Perfected love casts out fear. So that's mature love or a mature revelation of how much God loves you. What does that do? Casts out fear. So if you have any fear in your life, you've heard this before, right? Then that's an indicator that there's a little bit of work that needs to be done in the area of getting this revelation. It's that W-O-R-K word. Work is good. Above that scripture, like two or three verses above, it says, believe the love that God has for you. It's like, hello, believe the love that God has for you. Actually, actively engage in that and believe it, right? Yeah. Know it as truth, believe the love. When we know that we're loved, guess what? This is the best part, okay? When you know that you're loved by God, 
This is so good. It doesn't matter if there is something wrong with you. Like all of our life, we're trying to kind of not have something wrong with us, right? We're trying to prove that we're the best, we're the most, we're the prettiest, we're the smartest, we're the blah, 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 okay? But when you know that God loves you, it doesn't matter if there's something wrong with you because it's not about you, right? Because God is able to keep his promise and get you to your destiny you know, regardless of you. Doesn't matter if you were born on the wrong side of the tracks. Doesn't matter if you're an immigrant and you don't speak the language. Doesn't matter if your parents were divorced. It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter if you didn't finish high school, right? All of those things can be evidence accumulated against you in life, right? You dropped out, you flunked the class, somebody didn't call you. It's like evidence, layer upon layer upon layer, I'm not okay. I'm not good. But guess what? None of that matters when we know that God loves us. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And we can stop believing that lie that says this is this depends on me. Like I better just I better just get my act together. That's it. After this message, that's it. I'm going to try harder. I'm just going to get my act together. Yeah, no. No. We happen to be simultaneously doing this whole year of faith, right? So we're learning a better, higher way than just trying harder called striving. Thank you, God. When you know that you're loved, and I love this, okay? When you know that you're loved, you can actually be happy when your sibling gets something good that you always wanted and have been waiting 10 years for. <laughs> okay. And she got for free. Someone just gave it to her and you had to pay $1,000. You actually can be so happy because guess what? When you know that you're loved, it really truly creates in you a generous heart. You have a generous, generosity is a sign that you know that you're loved because God is love. And so what does that say about him then? He has a generous heart, right? God has a generous heart. He loves to bless his kids. So the antidote is that we must know that we're loved. Now, I have given you a pearl of great price, okay? I have given you a pearl of great price. Now, I know that I am not casting my pearls before swines. I'll look this way when I say it, okay? <laughs> I know that, you know, that we are a house. It, it is time, right? It is time. The revelation is coming down with the grace the faith to actually do this and manifest it in our life. So I've got a couple action steps for you, and I'm almost done, okay? Like, literally, like, really almost done. Okay, so, so here's the action plan. Um, it has four little parts, but basically the action is this, okay? This is the action that I'm asking of you tonight, okay? Are you ready? <sighs> Maybe some of you remember last, was it last Wednesday night when I was standing at the front for, for an hour with Pastor Ian, <laughs> talking about his message? Just I had my back to everybody because it was painful. I was not loving the whole thing, okay? But this, this is the action plan. It is time to up our game. It is time to up our game. 
If you're a little older, okay, than whatever, I don't know what age, okay, I'm not gonna throw an age over there, but you have the real problem of being really comfortable with where you're at right now. I'll just look out the front door there, <laughs> okay? You have the problem of being super comfortable. So when I say up our game, it's like, yeah, I gotta get around to doing that. I gotta paint the fence, I gotta up my game. Gotta go grocery shopping. Oh yeah, I gotta up my game. I need to find a pair of black pants to go with that sweater. I gotta up my game. Oh, it's almost school, kids are starting. I'm speechless, really. I don't know what to say, except to say, ew, like, it's a choice, right? We so have to make it. it we have to up our game. We totally have to up our game. No more pity parties, right? No more kind of sitting around waiting for someone to come and make you feel better, right? No more ba 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 to your spouse about just how lousy so and so was, right? I mean, if you think about it, what what does it accomplish, anyways? Truth, truthfully, right? Okay, so upping our game has a couple of parts to it. One is that we need to toughen up. And Pastor Ian's been all over this, right? That's been his own personal thing for the last year is toughening up. But we need, to, we need to toughen up. It's not okay to say, I'm just a sensitive soul. I can't help it. It's the way I am. It's good that I'm sensitive because it makes me so loving and kind. But just don't cross me because I'll take your head off. Right? Is it not true? Yeah. It's so true. Right? It's, it's, not, it's not okay to be a sensitive soul. If it means that you're choosing negative, negative ungodly things. Right? Like quitting, letting people have it, getting knocked out of the game when you were required to be in the game because you were going to come across somebody that day who needed prayer right. and has been waiting for their healing for so long, but you got knocked out because you got offended at something somebody said, right? You didn't like the way things went down. People didn't even acknowledge all the work that you've done. I'm not trying to make fun of you, but it's R-E-A-L, right? It's real. Like, the pain is real. How you feel in the moment feels totally justifiable. But you have a choice to make. Because believe me, if you choose to entertain and feed that creature, you will have company. By the name of... Who? A devil. Okay? You will have company. 
He will come and bring pressure and, and make the pressure so real that you're going to want to quit. So we need to toughen up. We need to learn to do good, which is what we're doing, right? We need to learn to walk in faith, learn to walk in hope. Hope is actually a strategy, right? We need to learn to walk in love. We need to get dressed and be ready, right? This is, this is Luke 12. No more amateur status. With, with a practice mentality. That's what we got, a practice mentality. No, we want to be professional rejoicers, right? Professional at this thing. And then the fourth thing is you just simply need to learn to ask God what's the truth, right? What, what is the truth, God? If you don't know how to ask God a question and get an answer, get off your behind, okay? That might be the one kick that God gives today, okay? Get off your behind. If you don't know how to ask God a question, Lord, what's the truth, and you don't know how to get an answer, that is something that you can do something about. But I am not a mind reader, so I don't know here who knows how to hear and who doesn't know how to hear. You need to come to a leader. We must come to a leader and say, I want to get better at this. Help me so that I can ask God that question. So I'm going to close with this question. What would it be like if we weren't driven by our desire to be esteemed? What would the world be like if we weren't driven by our desire to be honored and praised and approved of? If we actually would prefer others over ourselves, it'd be, it'd be like heaven. It'd be heaven here on earth. It'd be good. So don't think for a minute that you're, you know, that you don't matter or that you're not doing well. You are doing well. You're doing well. I want to encourage you. You are doing well. If you care at all about how you're doing, get, then guess what? Check. Right. You know, good. But, that, but we can do better, right? We can do better. And, and the truth is that you are a prophetic presence of God's love in this world. You're giving his love all the time. So give it to yourself. Give it to yourself. Amen.